have when you're dealing with people. And it always flares up in a church because it's one of Satan's little favorite pressure points to pick. So I kind of want to work on a practical subject tonight on what to do when someone hurts you. What to do when someone hurts you. We're going to look at this from a point of view of both what to do if a spiritual or a saved person, someone in the church hurts you. We're also going to look at what to do when someone outside of the church, uh, what the Bible actually calls as a Gentile or a heathen would do. And I'm not saying don't go around calling everyone at Walmart heathens. That's probably not the best way to win people over, but unsaved or saved. And we're going to look at that. So there's a few things, like I said, that are constant across, you know, everything. And some would say gravity is one. Taxes is another one. The government likes to say, but getting hurt by someone is definitely something everyone in this room can kind of attribute to their life. We've all been hurt by someone or another. And a disclaimer, I don't want to diminish the hurt in someone's life. Um, first and foremost, that's a big thing. There's, there's legitimate trauma. There's legitimate pain that people have gone through, whether that's through abuse, neglect, lying, a broken relationship, whatever it is. There's legitimate hurt. But we've got a God who's greater than that. So we're going to look into that. And so every person, like I said, has experienced hurt. You've been lied to. You've been neglected, abused, discarded. And we've all experienced at one point or another. The question we as Christians have to answer is, what do we do when someone has hurt us? The world is very good at airing out the faults of everyone. Um, you hop on the Morgan County bulletin board on the Facebook, and it's just dramatic. And to be honest, it's painfully obnoxious how quickly people are to air everyone's dirty laundry out. And those of you who've ever been in something like that, we all know that, that Satan loves to grab a hold of those things and run your name everything right through the mud and some of it is probably legitimate some of it's probably not um i think of an illustration in my own life there's a podcast i won't give you the podcast name because frankly i want to kind of shield you guys from it there's a podcast out that deep that this this gentleman was hurt by someone in a baptist church like ours and he has gone off this one end and starts exposing the abuse which is not a I would not say is a bad deal. Abuse needs to be exposed and dealt with biblically and legally. But he has developed a podcast and a following of exposing different things. And it's proven throughout his history of doing this that there have been some that have been false or inaccurate claims led against someone. But his result of taking up a keyboard warrior status and taking up the offense of someone else has led to hurting someone permanently. Now, like I said, there are legitimate cases of abuse that someone needs to answer for. And there's legitimate things that happen in our world that people need to answer for. But we as Christians are given detailed instructions on what to do when we're confronted with something like that. You see, our justice systems, our, our, in our sense of justice in, inside of us is a playground for the devil. He skews our ideas of justice and innocence and will utilize our flesh to be a lawyer and accuse everyone and everything and he allows us to be the judge and jury to cast the judgment on whoever we want look we have all been hurt at some point in our life there's no doubt about it but the devil will take your thought life and take your flesh and use it to distort the truth you guys ever heard the story there's always three parts to a story there's thirst, thirst, and it's actually two is usually in the middle. 
the devil really likes to play up your side of the story. Makes you look innocent, makes you feel oppressed. And we as Christians are called to be peacemakers and people who forgive. (laughs) I didn't know this until getting into the ministry. That's a difficult thing. As a kid, it's one of those things that God, God put, forgive because you've been forgiven. I mean, that's the basis of his entire principle of forgiveness. And yet we have people who come alongside who say, well, it's too big of an offense for me to forgive. And I have one response to that. I'm grateful Jesus didn't treat us that way. And I know that's kind of a caveat and kind of a broad statement. Not to diminish someone's hurt, but you realize that the hurt that Jesus endured, he says, was equal, if not greater, than the hurt that we have endured. And he forgave us of that. So some starting thoughts real quick before we get started. These are kind of the framework of what we're doing. Number one, your hurt is not bigger than God's healing. Your hurt is not bigger than God's healing. Psalm 147.3 says this, he healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. He telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their names. Great is our Lord and of, a, and of great power. His understanding is infinite. There is nothing we have gone through that God does not have the power to help us through. That's a foundational fact in our lives as Christianity. Number two, our goal with this lesson should never be a skewed point of view for justice but it's always for restoration. Take your Bibles to Colossians. That's kind of where we're going to be starting. Colossians chapter 3. Our goal should never be vengeance or this skewed, our skewed idea of justice. It should always be restoration. Now, I understand that that process is difficult. When I was a kid at this church, and uh, there's just a few people in here would remember this, my family was attacked, not physically, but verbally. We were attacked pretty, pretty maliciously. And I remember there were people that I would sit with on a Sunday night as a child, turn their back on my parents. And growing up, I got pretty bitter at the fact that these people could do that to me and my family. And then come around me in town and act like everything's innocent. I got bitter as a kid. But you see, if that person was to walk in the door today, if those people were to walk into this door today, I can honestly say this, after dealing with it with God, I would greet them with a hug, a warm smile, and help them find a good seat. I'm not saying that to be proud. I'm just saying that God can work through something that was so deeply inset of a 10-year-old losing someone who he was closer to than his grandparents, mind you, who turned their back on me and have come to the point now where if they were to walk in that door, I would greet them warmly and welcome them and be thrilled to have them back. And we've got to get to that point that restoration is key. Colossians 3, we're going to start in verse 10. It says this, And have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that is that created him. We realize that that is salvation right at that point. When you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have put on that new man. The problem is you are never out of God's hand, but you can shed the, I guess, control of that new man. 
we can always bring up that old man and use him. Now, and put on the new man, in verse 11, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor un- uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. Regardless of where you were, wh- where you've come from, your background, your past, regardless of that, Christ is all in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, the saved in God's family, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against you, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, and let this peace of God rule in your heart, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. I put it this way. We can get to a point where we hold so much against someone that it takes over our entire being. Bitterness, and someone once said it, bitterness is taking poison and expecting it to hurt the person you're mad at. But we can get to this point where we can hold something up so much that it starts to affect our mental, physical, and spiritual health. But God says to forgive. And that's easier said than done, I know. But our goal should never be this skewed point of justice. It should always be restoration. And every hurt is a way for God to show his love both to you and the person who hurt you. That's huge. God, every hurt, God has used every hurt in our lives to bring us closer to him. Isaiah forty-eight ten. Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. God melts away those things in our lives, and it's painful. It's, it's, a, it's a trying process, but it's important. C.S. Lewis wrote this, But suppose that what you are up against is a surgeon whose intentions are wholly good. The kinder and more conscientious he is, the more inexorably he, he will go on cutting. If he yielded to your entreaties, if he stopped before the operation was complete, all the pain up to that point would have been useless. God does surgery on us. Those of you who've had surgery, it's not comfortable. (laughs) Jen, is it comfortable? Not comfortable at all. The pain you deal with. But the outcome of a good surgery is far better than where you were. And so the pain we experience has a purpose, so keep that thought in the forefront of your mind during this. So number one, let's look at what the Bible says concerning the unbeliever. Concerning being hurt by the unbeliever. And there is a little bit of a difference in how we treat an unbeliever and a believer when it comes to hurting us. The Bible is clear that we are to see the outcome of these things as good and not to react in emotion or anger towards those that have wronged us. That's a big problem I have is I, I'm a very emotional being, mainly sad, but I, I can cry at the drop of a hat. But how many of you guys have ever been spouses, you've gotten to an argument with your with your spouse about something, and you make decisions based completely on emotion for an hour later to look at that decision and be like, that was not the right thing to do. We've got to be careful to not let emotion run how we are. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. 
Luke chapter 6 is Jesus Christ teaching, and it's an important chapter in the Bible, and it's important with the practical application, and you can kind of read through the latter part of this chapter, which is where we're going to be, and it kind of shows kind of what our society is. But Luke chapter 6 and verse 27, it says this, But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you. Stop right there for a second and apply that to today's society. I understand the church is under attack, and I hate that. I understand there's people that want to silence and people want to stop. But the Bible says, do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you and pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as ye would that men should do to you, do do ye also to them likewise. You have to understand that Jesus Christ here is not condoning a pacifist mentality, but what he's, he's promoting is a way for you to showcase the gospel. Look, if someone comes up to you in in Walmart and starts cursing at you and criticizing you and going at your your family or your church or whatever it is, there is no benefit for you returning the the same action. Now, I understand defending family. I understand defending who you are. But if you return the same emotions, anger and and cursing and whatever it is back at that person, it's not going to do anything for the cause of Christ. Missy works in customer service at Safeway. Um, she's a manager there. And no doubt about it, there's been unruly customers. And when you're in a customer service position, it's usually not the wisest thing to return the same anger at an angry customer. The Bible says a soft answer turneth away wrath. But if Missy had someone come in tomorrow and start cursing up a storm and throwing a fit, and Missy's decided, you know what, I'm sick and tired of this. I'm going to start cursing and throwing a fit back at her. I'm, there's not gonna, it's going to be on YouTube later that day, and it's not going to do anyone any good. But Jesus gives us a clear example of what to do. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as he would that man should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. You see, we have a responsibility to do what Jesus taught. It may not be easy. It may not be logical. But with God's help, we can move through it. So when you're dealing with the unsaved world, don't look to get even. Don't look for a just justice to happen. Frankly, they're going to answer to something far worse one day. But you will answer for how you react to that person. So what does the Bible say concerning the believer? And this is where we're going to give you a little bit of insight to church policy, Matthew chapter 18 is where we're going to be for this. What does the Bible say when a believer hurts you? Matthew 18, we consider this kind of the the passage for church discipline. Those of you who don't know what that is, we're going to look at it today. Church discipline is a doctrine that we practice here, and we've practiced it very few times, but it's effective and it's necessary. Matthew chapter 18, and we'll be in verse 15, it says, Moreover, if thy brother, brother, when he says that, he's talking about a brother in Christ. He's talking about this relationship between a saved person and a saved person. 
He's talking about that close-knit relationship that we have. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee two or more, one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. What he's saying there, hey, you need multiple people to make sure the story is accurate. And we've done this before. We've confronted people with sin. Dad is, Dad's phenomenal at it. My dad is a very passionate man, but I have seen a, a switch flipped in him when it comes to this type of thing where he is one of the most gentle, pa- compassionate people I've ever seen. And he's gone to people alone and pleaded with them, hey, this, is, this isn't right. This isn't what we're supposed to be doing. You're going to answer to Christ for this. And it's not a pleading, hey, you're, this is bad on the church. No, it's, you're going to have to answer for this one day. And he goes by himself. And the Bible says after that, if that doesn't work, and again, the whole purpose of this is restoration. If that doesn't work, you take one or two more. And he had to do that. Goes on to verse 17. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. This is one of the hardest things that we've ever had to do. Because it's not what we want to do. We as, ch- we as a church should never relish in the, in the downfall of a brother or sister in Christ. And that's never the purpose of this. But Jesus Christ is clear. When it comes to dealing with someone who's hurt you or hurt the name of Christ or offended you in some way that is, that is beyond just a simple I'm sorry, you should not be posting it on Facebook. You should not be sharing it with every other friend you have. And I'm not, I'm not picking on any particular person. I'm not trying to touch a nerve or anything. But frankly, if someone has, if I'll use Paula for an example. If someone comes to Paula in Ron's Paula one day, and it's severe, Paula's first thing should not be going to Deanna and telling Deanna what a slimy person this person is. I understand there's comfort in, in sharing it with a friend, but that's not biblical. If she needs advice, that's what your pastor's there for. But confront the person biblically. In a sense of compassion, in a sense of restoration, go to that person one-on-one. If they hear you, the Bible says that you've gained your brother. You've restored that relationship. I've been confronted when I was at college by a friend. I had done something I didn't mean to do. There was, it wasn't a hostile intention, but I had severely hurt a friend. And that person followed this to the letter. And we're like, go talk to that friend today. It worked. And if they don't hear you that first time, you take another person with you. You're like, hey, I, I, I can't do this alone. This is, this is going to affect everything. We need to deal with this. And the Bible gives us practical application. Thoughts on this, though, real quick. It should always be for restoration, never for personal justification. Your entire motive should be to restore this person back to the relationship you had. Number two, it should be conducted in a spirit of mending, not dividing. Look, if I hurt someone in here, I I want you to tell me. Because I don't want our relationship to be fractured or hurt. We shouldn't want that. 
we as Christians are given a, a, a remarkable fact that Jesus Christ forgave us of everything so we can forgive other people. Now, I understand that, that relationships might take some time to get that mending underway. But we should be actively trying to get there and it should be entered in. It should never be entered into without prayer and peace. Never try to do this without God by your side. This is one thing mom always taught us. When we'd get mad or something and I'd come home, um, I'd come home from work. And I worked at the movie theater in high school. And I'd come home and I'd be aggravated at a coworker, Because I was a pious little 16-year-old and they were all ungodly reprobates. And they were being completely normal, actually. But I'd come home angry because they had said something or done something that was, frankly, completely normal. And I'd come home in a fit of rage. And it was always late because I was when I was when my clothes was at the theater. So it would be late. And those of you who know my mom, my mom usually stays up pretty late. And she's sitting on her chair and... She's reading, and those of you know, my mom reads with, like, her phone right here. She's got really bad eyesight. So she'd be sitting there reading, reading her Kindle, reading a book. And I'd come in, and I'd be fuming. And I'd be talking to her, and like, Mom, this is happening, this person, this person, yada, yada, yada. And she looks at me, she said, calm down, go take a shower, go to bed, we'll talk about it in the morning. So I went down, I was like, I'm going to get my argument all ready, we're going to get this figured out. By the time I had calmed down, I realized how petty this actually was. So here's a little psychology tip for you when you're dealing with stress or, or anger or whatever. Take a step back. You don't need a degree to know that psychology, but you ever feel angry? Never jump to a conclusion when you're emotional. Never jump to a conclusion when you're, when you're cornered. Never, never make those decisions right there. Take a step back. Allow God to work through you. So practical steps now. We know what we're supposed to do. We know the hard part. But what are some practical steps to overcoming hurt? Like Bane, I, I get it. This is how I should react, but I've been hurt. How do I get through that? Well, number one, bring your pain to God. Don't run from it. This has been something that my dad has has taught me and I've seen a lot and I tell I tell people this often if you're hurt get as close to God as you can because running from him is not going to help Psalm 55:22 cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee he shall never suffer the righteous to be moved so bring your pain to God don't run from him number 2 fill your life with God's word and God's people you might be saying, well, Bane, it's God's people that have wronged me. I get it. You know why? Because we're all people. If you expect, this is something, if someone comes in and expects a church to be perfect, they're not going to get it because we're all sinful people that go to church. But get around people that spiritually uplift you. Jeremiah fifteen fifteen says this, O Lord, thou knowest, remember me and visit me and revenge me of my persecutors. Take me not away in thy long suffering. Know that for thy sake I have suffered rebuke. Thy words were found and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me as the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord God of heaven. You know, the best, the best prescription for that hurt is getting into this. It's keeping close to this. Dad told it to someone this week. We had someone call in just really struggling and needing a lot of help. And he, he told him, he said, 
You need to make sure you're doing the right thing before you expect someone else to do the right thing. So get close to God and God's people. Number three, focus on his healing instead of your hurting. Focus on your healing instead of your hurting. Sometimes we're like that little kid who falls, then looks around to see if make sure they have an audience, then they start crying. We, 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 we laugh about that with little kids. We see that at Quinn. Saw a little boy, he fell one time, and he fell, looked up, caught my eye, saw I was looking, and then started crying. How often is that us, though? We get hurt and whatnot, we're like, okay, that wasn't too bad, but I've got an audience, I'm going to live it out. Bible says this in Isaiah 26, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Get your eyes off your problems. Stop looking inward so much and look to God for that healing. And number four, have faith that God will bring you through it. We heard one of the, one of the best messages on faith this last Sunday. Sometimes you just got to take that little bit of step. Got to take that step. Romans 8, 18, for I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. 1 Peter 1, 6, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Everything we go through has a purpose. Everything that happens to us, God has a reason. I remember the day uh, dad called me and told me about Tyler when he had cancer. I was, as a dorm soup out at school, my job was to check the dormitory to make sure it was empty before chapel. Everyone was required to go to chapel. You could skip a certain number of classes, but you were not allowed to skip chapel, which is, yeah, it was awful. But my job was I had to go from my class to my dorm, check all the rooms, make sure they were clean, make sure all the guys were out. On my way back, I get a text from my dad saying, have you talked to your brother? If you haven't, you need to call him. So I call Tyler, and Tyler tells me what happened. And I remember the gut punch it was that day, Justin. You have to realize Tyler is, was a healthy kid. He was hardworking. He was, he was doing a ton, and he's always been a healthy, hardworking guy. So this, it, this hit us like a ton of bricks. And I remember going through the next few months of the surgery and the scans and the biopsies and everything and making sure everything's set aside that he's going to be okay. But for those of you who knew Tyler before that and know Tyler now, and he would, he would agree with this, the growth that God put in that man's life through that trial, but not only him, is at that point my parents fully surrendered us all to God. Because we're God's. I love my mom and dad, but we're not sinning and preachers. I love them. I, they're, they're my best friends and they're my counselors, but they know that we're all God's. And the trial we went through has made us stronger in our faith today. And to see the outcome of everything that's happened was completely worth it. Now, like I said, I understand hurt is a legitimate feeling. I understand trauma is not fixed overnight. But I will say this. 
God is still faithful. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you so much. Thank you for bringing us all here tonight. Lord, I pray that you bless everyone's week this week. I pray you'd be with camp coming up on Monday. I just pray that you'd be with each and every one of the kids, all 77 of the kids, Lord, to just do a miracle this week through our kids. Lord, these are the future leaders, teachers, pastors, missionaries of Platte Valley Baptist Church. And I pray that you you call more this year than you did last year. You save more than you did last year. Lord, we just see a miracle and revival break out within our youth. Protect everyone this week as they go out into their world. And God, if there's someone who needs, who needs to just let go of that hurt and let you start healing, I pray that they do today. We love you, Lord. It's your name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.